Back. Everybody in the back, please come over here to the chairs. Good evening. I would like to first start with a thank you to the family, the Barzida family, for having us here and arrange, arranging this lecture here tonight. Uh, I wasn't sure on what topic to focus tonight because I saw there are many new faces here. And that surprised me because I was expecting to see more familiar faces. Therefore, I'm ch making a little bit change in my plane. I'm going to start in the first half an hour going into scientific proofs for the oral Torah and the written Torah. And then I would like to speak about the situation of, in a Jewish world today. It's going to be a mixture of two or maybe perhaps three different lectures. I'm going to have to see how I mix it up together that will pass the information in the right way to everyone here. I encourage everyone here, please, shh, to ask as many questions as possible. Any doubt you have, please stop me right there. Don't hesitate. I'm open to every question in different subjects that we're going to speak, arguments, please don't hesitate. I prefer to speak about what the people are interested in than just to force my subject on the crowd. For those who see me for the first time, maybe I will present myself. I've been giving lectures in what we call in Hebrew Kiruv, bringing Jews back to the old tradition, to Judaism, for about, by now, 14 years. And I gave about, by now, more than 3,000 different lectures in places, in synagogue, in hotels, in seminars, in schools, and presenting uh, many, many different subjects. As you, some of you are probably familiar with my website, divineinformation.com, about 350 lectures in different topics there. The specialty of those lectures is that we argue in an intelligent way with common sense, scientific proof, not belief or false belief. Everything is based on scientific proof, which leaves no room to argue after we present the case. That's why I say if anybody has doubts and yes questions to ask, please do so. I would like to start with describing the situation in the Jewish world today. For those who are not aware of the situation, today there are approximately 13.2 million Jews in the world. That's all. 13.2 million Jews in the world. In America, approximately 6 million. In Israel, about 6.5 million. In France, about 700,000 and perhaps 100,000 all over the rest of the world, 13.2 million Jews, that's all. Even though it's a very popular, even though it's a very popular religion, you hear about it everywhere in the media, in all the televisions, channels, you read about it in the newspaper, you hear about the Jews everywhere you go, some people may think there are billion, over a billion Jews, but there's only 13.2 million Jews all over the world. 
It's a mystery how we got to such situation. For those who know a little bit history, 4,200 years ago, there was the big flood, according to the Torah. When we read in the Torah, in Parashat Noach, we see that there was a huge flood, rain, for 40 days that covered the entire world and drowned all the people, and the world restarted with eight people. That was 4,200 years ago, in the time of Noach and the ark. At that generation, Noah had three sons. One of them, his name was Sem, Shem. One of the three sons that Noah had is our grand-grand-grandfather. Someone who does not like Jews, his name is anti-Semite. Why? Where this expression came from? Because we are actually the children of the first Hebrew, which his name was Sem. From him came Abraham, the famous Abraham, that is in all three major religions and Isaac, and Jacob, and of course the story of Egypt. 210 years the Jews were in Egypt. 49 days after they came out of Egypt, they had the merit to receive the Torah in public. In previous lectures, I had more time to speak and to challenge that event. Did it really happen or not? Did 15 million Jews stood around Mount Sinai? Or someone just planted it in history and fooled millions of people after him? For those who attended those lectures, obviously I think that we presented our case and we proved it scientifically that millions of Jews stood around the mountain and received the Torah from God. For the first and last time in history, a large group of people were able to hear God speaking to people. For the first and the last time in history, maybe if I have time later on I will try to go back to it and try to analyze it shortly here, but it's not my main subject here. Once the Jews received the Torah, we started in the same generation like the Chinese people. If you read in Parashat Noach, one of the grandchildren of Noach, in that generation after the flood, his name was the Chinese, Hasini. Sini in Hebrew means Chinese. So the Chinese and us started in the same generation. The Chinese people have restriction on birth. They're not allowed to have more than one kid in a family if they, and if they want to do, they have to leave China and give birth in a different country. So the Chinese with restriction on birth, they have between one and a half to two billion people, it's not clear exactly, but definitely more than a billion and a half people. And we, the Jews that started in the same generation, we have not even one percent of one percent of one percent of the Chinese people. We have to ask ourselves what happened to us as the most famous nation in the history only very few of us survive. One of the major reasons for this tragedy is that over the years, the nation that every other, every other nation ran after and tried to depress and destroy it more than any other nation was the Jewish people. The Jews, whenever they leave, they never have freedom to practice their religion and their culture. They were moving from one country to the other. Almost in every country where they live, there were anti-Semites that tried to destroy them and destroy their religion. Even so, when the Jews were trying to survive spiritual, spiritually and physically, the Jews were intermarry those nations where they lived. It got to a point that if we look in today's generation, we live here in the United States, in the United States, 10 years ago, the statistic was that from every 100 marriages of Jewish people, 52 of them 10 years ago were with non-Jewish people. 
Today it's much worse. I don't have the exact statistic today, but we have to assume that it's by now more than 60%. In Spain, more than 80%. In France, more than 70%. In some countries, it's almost 100%. Those who are still Jews, they marry other nations and they disappear from the face of the earth. In other words, they're not considered Jews anymore. According to the Jewish halacha, if a Jew is marrying a non-Jewish lady, then from this moment on, these children that will be born, they consider non-Jews. But if an, a Jewish lady marry a non-Jewish man, the kids are still Jewish. So it goes, the religion goes by the mother. By the Muslims, it goes by the father. If the father is Muslim, they consider the kid Muslim, and if he's not, they're not. But by us, according to the Torah, it goes by the mother, and we are in a situation today that we have only 13.2 million Jews. From 13.2 million Jews, how many Jews are attached to their culture, to their religion? How many of them observing the Sabbath? How many of them practice Jewish law according to the Torah? Approximately between one and a half to two million people in the entire world. We have 6.4 billion people in the world. Only maximum two million of them living according to the laws of the creator of the world. Now you may ask, why you jump so far? We have doubts if the creator of the world gave the Torah. So that's what we're going to do in the next 20 minutes. I'm going to give some scientific proof that hopefully would leave no doubts that this book, it's a divine book. Anyone who has questions about what I'm showing, please raise your hand and we'll argue in this manner. This is to give us a little bit statistic what's going on today. Christian, 33%. More than 2 billion. Muslims, 19% and it's growing very fast. Hindu, 13%. Buddhist, 5%. 5% is hundreds of millions. Jews, point. 0.25% only. If you search today, how many religions and cults we have in the world? More than 80,000 religions and cults. Just in the United States alone, you have more than 10,000 different religions and cults. The old and the most popular religion other than Christianity and Islam that started is Judaism. 3,319 years ago, the Jews received the Torah in Mount Sinai. As I just say, Passover, it's the exodus from Egypt. Seven weeks later is the holiday of Shavuos, which coming very soon. Those 49 days, the Jews were preparing to receive the Torah from God, and they all stood around Mount Sinai and heard God speaking to Moshe, to Moses. How do we know? The answer is, if we search in the Torah and begin to review the number of mitzvot that God gave the Jews, we have 613 obligations, 613 commandments. We're all familiar with the Ten Commandments, but we really have 613. The body of a person is created with 613 parts, 248 organs, 365 ligaments. If we review the Torah, we find that every organ in our body is related to one commandment, one positive mitzvah in the Torah. So we have 248 mitzvah, positive, each one connects to one organ. 365 ligaments, 
365 restrictions in the Torah. So, if you ever heard before, a person is a combination of body and soul. The main part of the person, it's a spiritual part, which we all refer to as a soul, and a shama, a living soul. The soul, according to Judaism, is visiting in this world in one body, but had visited here in the past in different bodies. Today, if, you, if one day we will be able to do a lecture, Life After Life, if, you, if not, you can watch it in the website. There, one of the scientific proof that I like to use is hypnosis, hypnotizing people. By hypnotizing people, today, parapsychologists are able to do regression with people and bring them back to previous times in their life, to some point that sometimes they speak in a foreign language they, don't, they, don't, they do not even recognize. So I'm just giving you an example. You take a seven years old person and a parapsychologist has nothing to do with religion. Could be a non-Jew. That's his job. He's a parapsychologist. He regrets the person to previous times in his life. So he returned him back to age 50. And he begins to describe while he's half asleep. He begins to describe where he is 20 years ago. He's walking on the street and he's describing it like it's a life story. Then he regrets him another 30 years. Now he's a little kid. He begins to speak in a very young voice. Then they move him back when he's one year old. A 70 year old person, there are many videos about it in the internet, begin to crawl on a rug and make noises like a baby. Then they continue to go reverse and sometimes, all of a sudden, this person begins to speak in a language that he himself does not know. Later, when he will watch the video, he will see that he's speaking German or Yiddish or any language. And they, they ask him, where are you? Describe where you are. And he describes himself in a different life, in a different body, in a different place, speaking in a different language. Some of the regression are so amazing that they were able to speak to people that speaking from times of over a thousand years ago. Some of them spoke in ancient Dutch. Nobody in the world knows that language. They had to go and bring experts, many experts from all over the world, trying to, to recognize which language they're speaking. And they describe their life as a thousand years ago, where they live in certain places, describing themselves as farmer in certain places, and so on and so on. So we see that according to the Torah, the person is a combination of body and soul. When the Torah wants to describe the death, the Torah says that the soul exits the body, as we read in the Dead of Rachel, when Rachel, the wife of Jacob, she passed away, the Torah says, The soul of Rachel came out, and then she died. And King Solomon wrote in the part of the Bible, in the book of Kohelet, and the soul returns back to the master that gave it, and the body will turn to the ground, because that's, he, that's where he was taken from. As we read in the beginning of the Torah, we begin to see the description of the creation of first human being that came to this world, which is Adam. How the Torah described the creation of Adam, and God created the body, the sand from the ground, and he blew into his nostril a living soul, and the person became alive. 
when we go to the oral Torah, which describes this transaction, the Torah describes that God blew apart from himself a spiritual soul which has the ability to talk and to communicate in spiritual way with the people around. So we have a lot of things that can be proven today scientifically, that a person is really not a body, it's the soul. When a person died, his family sued for millions of dollars. If you take the body of a person to a lab by a chemist and you try to, to evaluate the value of the actual body, the material that the body is made from, oxygen, iron, all kinds of things that are in the body, it will be less than two dollars, less than a slice of pizza. But God forbid if somebody lost a, a, a member of his family, he doesn't sue for two dollars. Because everybody understands that the, to evaluate a person is based on his spiritual level, not in his physical level, because the physical level is worthless. It's worth almost nothing. Now, since I started to describe that today there are more than 80,000 religions and cults, the difference between Judaism to all the other religions, there are many differences, but one of the main differences is that we, as the Jews, are the only religion that started in front of millions of witnesses. Uh, in previous lectures, which I don't have the time to return to it, I show parts from the Quran and parts from the New Testament, and I show and I highlight many human errors in the book that leaves no doubt that this book is not divine, because God cannot make such mistake as we describe. But the difference that we have with, between us and them is that the Quran started with the story of one person. Muhammad came from the desert one day and he claimed that God gave him a book. How many witnesses he had to his story? Not even one. He could not bring one witness to his story. He came and he told his friends the story and that's how Islam started. How Christianity started? A woman named Miriam, Mary, one day she came to her fiancé, Joseph, which was also a Jew, they both were Jewish, they got engaged, he went out of town, he's coming back after a few months, and he asked her, how is it possible that you're pregnant if I never touched you yet? So she said, as the story is very famous, God came to me in a dream and made me pregnant, I'm still a virgin, no man ever touched me, we know the story. How many witnesses she had to her dream, to her story, not even one. So the two major religions in the world started right away with 50% doubt. Why? Because if a person walk into the room and tell us a story that happened somewhere in Manhattan right now, it's maybe yes, maybe not. No one will swear that he's saying the truth. That's right there, 50% doubt. Yes? Just very quickly, someone actually mentioned this to me, it's not my Didn't JC say that he fed bread to 70,000 people or something? 500 people. One loaf of bread, 500 people. Okay, I'll answer you. I answer you. I mean, I don't see the relation uh, between what you're asking to what I say, but I'll answer you anyway. I'll, I'll, uh, we never come to challenge other religions based on the miracles they describe in their books. We don't do that. Why? Because if we're going to come and say, do you really believe that he fed 500 people with one piece of bread? then they're going to start challenging all the miracles that we have in the Torah. That's not a scientific way to disqualify a book. The scientific way is to find human error. For instance, 
if I'm going to bring a book that someone just willing to swear that God gave him this book, and we read that that book described that the Twin Towers collapsed in Brooklyn, and, and we all know that it happens in Manhattan, right? So is it, does it pay for us to waste one more minute about that book? Is it, does it pay for us to continue to review the rest of the book, or we know right there that God never gave this book? If we read, if we read in the New Testament that the, the cave of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in the city of Nablus, and everybody in the world today knows it's in the city of Hebron, it was always there. Plus, the Christians admitted that the Jews received the Torah in front of millions of witnesses. They never, never ever challenged that fact. The opposite. They based their religion as a continuation from our religion. They called the, our Torah the Old Testament, and they claimed that God gave part B, the same thing the Muslims did. The Muslims never claimed the Jews, it's not a valid religion, one second. So because they admitted that the Jews have the truth from God, and they receive it in front of millions of witnesses, nobody can argue that point. Because remember, they are only 1,300 years after us. Christianity is about 2,000 years old. So we are 3,319 years old. So because they admitted that our book, it's a book of God, it's a divine book, they got themselves into a major serious problem. Why? Because their book has to comply 100% with every detail in our book. Because if you're going to find one or two contradictions in their book, it leaves no doubt that our book it's va is valid and their book it's not. It's a human error. Why? God did not forget how many people came out of Egypt. If, if God wrote in our Torah that Jacob went to Egypt with 70 people and Christianity now writes 75, what happened to God? He forgot. Or that certain things in our Torah describe in a certain way and you read in the New Testament and you see that they have different names, different dates. Plus, there are many contradictions inside the New Testament, as if, if you watch my debate with a Christian priest, with a Christian professor, I gave him more than 50 contradictions in the New Testament, and he himself said, you put me in a, in a hole, I don't know how I'm coming out of there. Until this moment, it's been four or five months, I'm still waiting for him to answer one question. If you think that he doesn't have the answer, I have news for you. Even the previous Pope, some of these questions we asked them more than 10 years ago. I told you I'm doing it for about 14 years. We asked him approximately 10 years ago, the old Pope, and he referred us to the head of the Church of Nativity in Israel to answer our questions. He was answering us and referring us to different books. We went and read those books. He thought we're going to leave him alone. But we never left him alone until he gave up and disappeared. Why? They don't have an answer to one question. Why? Because it's a book that was written by people like me and you. That's why it's full of errors. Same thing Quran. It takes less than 10 minutes to disqualify this book. For one intelligent person that come, give me 5 to 10 minutes, I leave no doubt that this book is human error. But our book, no one in the history was able to disqualify it. No one. And I'm going to show some of the things I'm referring to, why this book is so solid. The, as we read apart from the Sefer Dvarim, chapter 4, I just mentioned to you that there are more than 80,000 religions and cults. The Torah, the Jewish Torah, describing the acceptance of the Torah in Mount Sinai. 
God comes to the Jews and say, please search in history. Every Jew, you should know, the Torah applies to every generation equally. Therefore, if we as Jews open the Torah today and we read it, every order, every detail in the Torah applies to us equally. Exactly like in the time of Moshe, Moses, and all the other Jews that lived a thousand or two thousand years ago. The Torah comes to every Jew and refers to him as, please investigate, please check in history. From the time God created Adam on earth, from one side of heaven to the other, did anybody ever heard such an event? Did ever a group of people heard the voice of God speaking from the fire as you heard and he survived to testify? Or ever God try to communicate with a group of people with magics and war and strong arm and all kinds of signs as your God did to you in the land of Egypt? Your eyes saw that God is the master and there is no other. I will translate what the exact meaning of this part in the Torah. God comes to the Jews and says, listen, check the entire 3,319 years from the time I gave the Torah to you in public. Check all the people in the world, all of them, all the nations. You will never find a group of non-Jews that come and claim that I came and communicated with them. It will always going to be one person only, one individual, never two. Because one of the solid rules in Judaism is that once two kosher witnesses are coming to testify and you investigate them separately and all the information they are giving, it's matching perfectly, then it's a testimony. You have to accept it. If two non-Jews would come and describe that God communicated with them and gave them a book or anything like that, we will have the first mistake in Judaism. Why? Because the Torah promised that it will never happen. 80,000 times one individual came, such as Buddha 2400 years ago, I saw the light. How many witnesses he brought? Not even one. Muhammad came alone. Mary came alone. All the other religions and cults that starting, always starting with one person. Now, you may ask, how is it possible? 80,000 times, only one person, never once they brought a witness? The answer is yes. And you know why? Because someone who is lying about a story is making up a story that God gave him a book. And he bribed few witnesses to come and testify false testimony. He is not independent anymore. He is in the hand of those witnesses. Why? Because just all it needs that the witness is not happy from the amount of money he received. He comes to him a week after, listen, I want another million dollars. If not, I'm going to tell everyone you bribed us and God never gave you the book. God never spoke to you. You gave us money to come and testify that you saw the angel giving you the Quran, no? We want more money. No leader, no false prophet will ever take a risk to bring phony witnesses knowing one day they'll turn their back to him and tell the world that he's a liar. No one will do such a thing. 80,000 times, not once the Torah was wrong. Now, if we read... Yes? Let me follow the logic here. <clears throat> 80,000 times somebody walks into the room, is the way you described it, and told the story of their revelation, 
and there were no witnesses. Who were the witnesses of the person who walked into the room and said God gave the Torah to millions of people? Where are the witnesses? Thank you very much. I'll answer this. How do we know the Jews really witnessed that event? Maybe Moshe came and gave him a book and nobody ever saw that event. He just passed them a book. The answer is, when we begin to read in Parashat Yitro the acceptance of the Torah. First, the Torah is a very complicated religion. There are many difficult laws to keep. It's not so convenient for a non-religious person to become overnight religious, or even over a year. It takes a long time to change completely your habits, your personality, and so forth and so on. When God, when Moshe came to the nation and gave them the book, we all now, the nation of Israel, receiving the book from me. I am Moshe, and you, 15 million Jews that are standing right there, and I'm giving you the book. When you open the book and begins to read, the book describing what just happened to you in the last year in Egypt, to each one of you. This is the only book in history that was given directly to the people that are mentioned in the book. If I am Moshe giving you a book, and you read inside the book that God spoke to your grandfather, to your grandfather, that's very hard to prove. How do I know my grandfather is not here? Do you expect me to believe that all these miracles happened to my grandfather? But that's not what the Torah says. The Torah says, Moshe comes, listen, I'm giving you now the book. You open the book and you begin to read. I took you out of Egypt. I split the ocean. You went through and the Egyptians down. All the water in Egypt became blood. Frogs, every, every firstborn were, were dead. So many miracles that happened in Egypt. Now I am, as a non-religious Jew at that point, are not interested to receive a book to limit me, to take control over my free life. I, I am interested to find one mistake in the book that will release me from this obligation. I'm not interested to become religious. There are millions of people receiving now books of laws. They want to be free. They want to do whatever they want. They will do everything they can to get rid of this book. So all they have to do is find one mistake in a book to come to that person named Moshe. You're lying to us. You're not a prophet. You're a liar. You just say that God gave you this book, right? If this is a divine book, how is it possible that this book said that the ocean split and we went through? Anybody here saw the ocean split and we went through? Please raise his hand. Anybody here see blood all over Egypt? Please raise your hand. Anybody heard God speaking to us, as this book say? I don't remember hearing God speaking. Anybody heard God? This book describing that we, all of us, include yourself and myself, heard him, the leader, speaking to God, and we witnessed it. That's what the book say. I'm not a fool. I know what happened to me in the last hour or two. If I'm receiving a book and beginning to read, and the book telling me what I did in the last year, what I saw in the last year, if one of the details were not exactly correct as it was, I would make a party. Thank God. We got rid of him. This liar came to destroy our life. That's problem number one. Problem number two, it gets worse. We begin to read in the book, and a tragedy is just happening. 
What's the tragedy? I have ten children, and I'm, married, I'm happily married with my wife. And what did I just find out? My wife, she's my brother, my father's sister. She's my aunt. I married her because up to now in history, nobody ever came to tell people that you're not allowed to marry your aunt. What's the problem? Cousins are still married today. What's the, my, my, my father is, is, is 45, and I'm 25, and my aunt, she's 22. She's my, the youngest sister of my, bra, of my father. We like, we don't remember, there was no internet, no communication, no telephones. Everybody lives in one area. And we grew up together. She's a wonderful woman. We got married. We have now ten children. Come this person to destroy my life. Tens of thousands of people supposed to get divorced right now. As they receive the book live, they open the book and they begin to cry. But why? I love my wife. Why I have to get divorced? The Torah says from now, not from yesterday. From now you're not allowed to touch your father's sister. It's against the law. What happened? We have children. What's going to be? Too bad. Problem number three. The book describes that they prepare thousands of thousands of thousands of cows for the holiday of Shavuos. Why? It's a holiday. It's mitzvah to eat, to drink wine, to eat meat. Respectable meal. Comes Moshe from the mountain and they begin to read that all the cows that they prepared for the holiday are not kosher. I'm not glad kosher. One of the laws to make the animal kosher is to slaughter it with a very smooth knife, a special knife. It has to be checked that the animal will not suffer when you slaughter the throat. So therefore, they used a regular knife. They did not check the animals according to the laws of glad kosher animals. So all the animals, millions of dollars, we're talking 15 million people, how many cows you need to feed them? Millions of dollars have to be thrown out to the garbage because this gentleman just came from the mountain and brought us a book. And the worst part is that there's not enough time left. The holiday begins in a few hours. That's, by the way, the reason why all the Jews in Shavuos eating dairy product. You ever wonder what happened in this holiday that Jews making cheese pie and cheese danishes and all these things, why? There was not enough time to prepare new meat. It takes time to slaughter the animal, to throw the salt, to get rid of all the blood. The blood. There are many laws apply here. There was no time to prepare, yes. Your first answer to the question about how the stories of the Bible happened to the participants and therefore could not be disputed. Right. That answer doesn't, uh, is not well received in the 21st century because it presupposes that the old theological assumption that the Torah is 3,300 years old. But for the past 150 years, the universities have been teaching documentary hypothesis. So anyone who's not a religious Jew believes that the Bible is 2,500 years old. So they're not going to subscribe to that answer. Okay, I understand what you say. But you have to also remember one thing. We have books in history that are older than 25 years, older than 25 years, that speaking about the Torah. The Babylonian Empire... That's a better answer. No, they speak, they speak... If the Babylonians, in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, which was 2,600 years ago, speaking about the Jews and the Torah in their books, how is it possible that the Bible is only 25 years old? If we have indications that... Okay, so that's one, one answer. The second, the second answer is, you have to know one thing. When Moshe gives the book to the, the books describing Moshe giving the book, the Torah, to the people that present right there. 
as referring to them directly, your eye saw. You saw what happened. Now, if the Torah is only 25 years, who exactly gave the Jews the Torah 25 years to who? Who gave the Torah? You understand the point? Okay, now, next, as I'm continuing with the problem that we have, when the Jews receive now the Torah, they reading right now, each one of us, he read about myself that I heard God speaking. It's enough that one Jew was half asleep or is deaf or anything like that. He couldn't hear. He would raise his hand and say, with all the respect, I see everyone is impressed because they claim they heard God, but I never heard God speaking. That would be the end of the Torah. Now remember, if I come to a non-religious Jew today and try to convince him to become like me, it's almost an impossible mission. Why? Because his life is convenient. He's allowed to do whatever he feels like. He doesn't want to give donation. He doesn't want to have mercy on the poor. He doesn't want to observe the Sabbath or, 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 or eat certain things or not eat certain things. He is not allowed to be faithful only to one woman. He doesn't want. He's not interested. He has many, many other preparations that he prefers to do. He doesn't want me on his head. So all he has to do, it's very simple, to find one mistake in my book. Now, if we check Quran and the New Testament, you don't find one prophecy on those books. Not even one. The Muslims call him the Prophet Muhammad, search in the entire Quran. You don't have one prophecy. If you find, I buy you cheeseburger and Yom Kippur in, in Manhattan and I pay the bill. But all the Muslims scream. Prophet Muhammad. What prophet? Ignorance. Not one prophet in, prophecy in the entire Quran. Christianity, one prophecy. Which one? The Jews were kicked out of the Holy Land for the second time. The temple was destroyed twice. They write about that part. And they will never return to establish the kingdom in Jerusalem ever again. Did it happen or not? Did the Jews return to Israel? Yes or not? The answer is yes. So one prophecy in Christianity, false prophecy. It's not from God. Judaism, how many prophecies do you have in the book? Who knows? In the five books of Moses. Every chapter you're going to open, I show you at least one, or maybe 30 or 40 prophecies in each chapter. Once I had a lecture in Yonkers, many years ago, and I had a very sharp Israeli guy, very anti, was challenging almost everything I said. Not like here, here everyone is polite, they're listening. Over there was a real atomic war. <laughs> By four o'clock in the morning, no, none of us wants to lose. <laughs> By four o'clock in the morning, I said, how do I break these guys? He's very stubborn. I told him, you know what, Kobe? Let's make a deal. You bring the Torah, the owner of the place, bring the Torah. You open any page you want, and I show you right their prophecies for a thousand, two thousand years later. So he said, yeah? All right, let's see. He brought the Torah, I got very lucky. <laughs> Which page he opened? Parashat Bechukotai. Two weeks you're gonna see. If you're gonna go to Shul, every line is a prophecy. One after the other. I started to read less than a minute, I gave him more than eight, nine prophecies. So all right, all right, enough. The argument was closed. Why? Divine book has a lot of prophecies. I'll give you an example what page he opened. By heart, I'll tell you. What did he open? It says like this. When you come to the land, to the Holy Land, remember, this was given to the Jews 40 years before they entering the land of Israel. 
40 years before. The Torah described that the Holy Land has seven empires sitting in the land with strong, heavy army. And the Jews have no army. They just came out of Egypt with their babies. And they have to come and occupy the Holy Land. What's the chance, what's the chances here that the Jews will receive a book now from anyone? And they open the book and the book promise. I'm going to let you go into the land. You will inherit the land. I will throw the Gentiles that are sitting there out of the land because I am the master of the land. What's my chances to be, to be right? To give a book to a group of people and promise them the land with the seven strongest armies in the world sitting right there. And not only that, the Torah continues. I, I will, once you enter the land, you're going to be able to build the temple. That's a prophecy. When was the temple built? Approximately in the time of King Solomon. It's about approximately 3,000 years ago. So you're going to build the temple. But if you're not going to follow my laws and you rebel against my Torah, I will destroy your temple. And I will send you to the exiles. And the Torah continued to speak. And then the Torah said, a nation will come from far away. You will not recognize their language. Who are they, who the Torah talking about? The Romans, 2,000 years ago. That's 1,300 years before the Roman Empire came to destroy the second temple. As the Jews received the Torah, the Torah described what's going to happen. They're going to come to the land. They destroy the temple. They throw you out of the land. They will ship you to Egypt in boats. Big boats. And in Egypt you'll become slaves. And the price of every slave will be cheaper than one meal of a horse. That's what the Torah described. So now, prophecy number one. I'm giving you the land, it's against all odds. Seven huge empires sitting there. How are you going to inherit the land? Huh? What's your chances? Close to zero. It happened. You build the temple. It happened. It will be destroyed. It happened. By whom? A nation that you don't recognize their language. Any, any, any one of the neighbors around Israel, you recognize their language. They're your neighbors. The Romans came from Italy, from that area. You don't recognize their language. The sign of this empire, the Torah says, it's an eagle. Interesting. Eagle. The Romans, eagle. The Americans, eagle. The Germans, eagle. The Russians, eagle. You know why? They're all one family. They came from one person in the Torah, Esav. Soon I'm going to show you about him a little bit. All eagle. That's his sign. So they're going to come and they destroy the temple. And they throw you to Egypt. How? What's the easiest way to send Jews from Israel to Egypt? Make them walk. Maximum 11 days of walking. If they walk very slow with resting. It could be three, four days of walk. Walk. It's like walking from here to Manhattan. How long is it going to be? It's very close, Egypt to Israel. Walk. No. They bring boats all the way from Italy. Check in the history. And they ship them in boats to Egypt. And what happened? Nobody wanted to buy them. You, buy, you read in the book of Josephus Plavius. He was an anti-religion person. He wrote a history book. And he described what happened after the destruction of the second temple. Another prophecy. The Torah says, once the Jews sitting in the land, the land will give it fruit. And there will be blessing in the land. When I send the Jews out of the Holy Land to the exiles, 
the land will refuse to grow any fruits. Josephus Flavius in his book, before the destruction of the temple, he described the markets full of dates, pomegranates, wonderful fruits, honey, everything is plenty. Then he writes 15 years after the destruction of the temple in his book, I cannot believe what happened to the land. Through the entire land, you cannot find one fruit, one tree of fruits. Mark Twain, 120 years ago, you heard about him? He, re- he, re- he wrote the book, Heckleberry Fane. It's famous, famous author. Mark Twain, he wrote, in his, he wrote in his book, I went to the Holy Land. I traveled in the entire land. I did not find one tree in the entire land. Even olive trees that are growing on rocks. I could not find. What happened to this land? 750 years ago, Rabbi Moshe ben, Mach- ben Nachman, Ramban, famous Ramban, came from Spain to Israel. And he wrote in his book, I arrived to the Holy Land 750 years ago. All through the entire land, I did not find one tree. So it's very depressing what I find in the Holy Land. But it's also very encouraging. Why it's encouraging? It's a sign that we have a divine book in our hand. Because the Torah promised when the Jews sitting in the Holy Land, it's going to be plenty of food. When the Jews goes to the exile, nobody can grow anything on a tree. What human being could take such a risk and write it in a book? Once, in one of my lectures in Brooklyn, there was a guy that brought me a picture from a satellite. He showed me a satellite picture from before the peace between Israel and Egypt, and a satellite picture after the peace. Before the peace, it's all green. After the peace, only a few years after, it all became desert. Unbelievable. And many, many other prophecies. Let's, mo- let's continue. I want to show some scientific proof. Yes? All of this presupposes that God gave the complete Torah 49 days after the Jews fled Egypt. And every Jew in the desert received a copy and read it and didn't object and accepted the laws. So is that is that Jewish theology that every Jew had a book and carried a book into the desert? Not correct. Well then the, if you haven't read the book, you're not objecting. No. I let not is not proof that there's a distinction between you're accepting that and somebody's accepting another religion, uh, one prophet walking into the room. Okay, so now, here is the way it was. Let me, one other point while I talk, because he's making me ask you. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> I, I encourage everyone to ask me questions. I, I actually like the questions the more than the... Spe- the, the trees in the desert. Yes. One of the great claims of the Jewish community, me too, yeah. uh, to the state of Israel, is that Jews have lived in the Holy Land, since the beginning. Right. Which means that until 21 centuries later, or 2,000 years later, um, there were no trees. So to that extent, the prophecy was not accurate. Why? When the Jews returned in 1880, the first Jewish immigrants came to Israel in the year 1880. They came from Europe. They were Ashkenazi Jews that started to come from Germany. And Just let everybody hear the question. They didn't hear the question? I'm saying... Well, through the answer, they'll understand the question, I hope. <laughs> well, what? The first immigrants, 
1880s, that's the first Aliyah. Uh, first Aliyah, yeah. There were Jews there before. Yeah, very few Jews, very little communities yeah. in Israel. To the extent that there were few Jews, are the claim that this is... Uh, no, the Torah says when the, when the nation of Israel will return, not few individuals such as the Rambam and 20 students, when the actual Jewish nation will return back to the land as I bring you back to the land, the same way the entire nation went out of the land, then they will revive the land. And remember, it was all swamp. If you know a little bit the history of Israel, the Arabs sold the lands in Tel Aviv in some areas today worth billions of dollars for nothing. It was all swamp. We have, when I was in school, they show how cheap was the land because it was all swamps, malaria, people were dying, fevers. They didn't know what to do with that. So the Arabs took ropes. They used to go around acres of land. Today it's worth who knows how much money. They used to measure the, the land with rope, like this. For, for peanuts, they bought it. The Arab says, where these idiots came from to buy this land? There's nothing to do here. But a few years later, everything was dried, and all of a sudden, in 60 years, look what happened in Israel. No one denied that when the Jews came 100, 120 years to Israel, it was all swamp. It's a fact. And what happened? Today, it's one of the greatest countries and the greatest foods in the world. It's all green, even though it's in the, in the area of desert. The neighbors, the Arab countries, are not so blessed like Israel. They're blessed with other things. But when it comes to the food and the things, the Torah did not make any mistake. Now, I would like to show parts from the written and the oral Torah. 72%, 72% of the world is water. If you look at the... Yeah. The first question. The first question? May, uh, may I repeat that? Uh, yeah, well, well, that's okay. The, the Jews carrying the book. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. Not, sorry, I got it, I got they it. didn't object. Right. Okay, first, Moshe came down from the mountain. He brought the Ten Commandments and the entire Oral Torah. Everything. All the laws and the explanation how to circumcise the baby, how to keep the Sabbath and everything. The Torah was given to the Jews... Part of the Torah, every few years, they were receiving a part from the written Torah. The part from the, descri the describing the creation of the world until the acceptance of the Torah with all the miracles that happened in Egypt, Moshe brought down with him with the Ten Commandments and all the oral laws. Forty years later, when he was about to pass away, he, he concluded the Torah and he wrote... 13 copies in the last year of his life, which each copy he gave to each tribe, and one copy he put in the ark as a memory or a, a, a copy to compare with. And before he died, Joshua ben Nun, Joshua completed the last sentence in the Torah, and Moshe died in front of the nation of Israel, and that's how the written Torah was concluded. But every few years, God called Moshe to the tent, Oel Moed, and said, please write from here to here. And he wrote another part of history. And then another part. And another part, as the Gemara says, the Torah, Nitna Megilot Megilot, different parts of the written Torah. Every once in a while, he was writing up to here, up to here, until he concluded the 40 years. But what we care for our proof is that when Moshe came 49 days, when we received the Torah, and Moshe brought the Ten Commandments and all the oral laws, and apart from the Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, until the acceptance of the Torah, which is Parashat Yitro, inside that part, all the miracles that happened to the Jews were presented to them 
alive in front of them and they started to read what happened to us. If one of the things did not happen, and you know what, by the way, even if you doubt it, what I just said, you have to agree with me that within 40 years, they received the entire Torah before they entered the land of Israel, as the Torah described. If I was giving you a hard time, I would say, how do we know that? Oh, how do we know that? Very simple, again. I answered him. Because the people who received it, if they are not the one who accepted that, it will be a lie in the Torah. Because remember, I'm giving you a book, and the book say, wait, I'm giving you right now a book. I'm supposed to convince you to become religious and follow this book. You are not interested. So you want to find error in a book to get rid of it. So now what are you telling me? I just say nothing about it. I ignore it. No, but you read about yourself in a book. You read about yourself that you saw and you heard and all that. So now, if you did not see, so if there will be your son or grandson that receives it, he said, the Torah said that I saw, but I never saw. It had to be the people that came out of Egypt that received the book because this is what the book says. So if you claim that it was given to people a few generations after, this is what I answered him, they would say to you, excuse me, you're giving me a book that describes me hearing God. I never heard God. It's a lie, this book. Goodbye. It will never, it will never be able to start after. It had to start it with the people that actually came out of Egypt and saw the miracles. Because giving it to their grandchildren, this is what the Torah keeps repeating. Your eyes saw. Direct conversation. Your eyes saw. You saw. Not your grandfather. I did not do it to your grandfather. To you. And you would say, I'm sorry, I don't believe it. I didn't see. Very simple. There's no other way around it. Because if you did not see, you say, okay, you, you claim that my grandfather saw? Go speak to my grandfather. I'm not interested. All right. Now, I would like to show... One more thing. The Torah said that the Jews are allowed to eat everything that lives in the oceans with one, with one condition. That it has fins and scales. If it has fins and scales, it's kosher. If it doesn't, you're not allowed to touch it. Comes the oral Torah right here and says, the Torah, my battery is dying here, so no, just bear with me right here. Everything that has scales must have fins. Guarantee. Seven words that can never be written by a human being. Only by the creator of the world. No doubt whatsoever. How do I know? Very simple. 72% of the world is water. We, have more than, we know more than 35,000 different kinds of fish. We have billions of species in the ocean. Many scorpions, snakes, all kinds of things in the oceans. And so many living creatures are moving in the ocean as we speak right now. When the Torah was given, more than half of them were not even exist. It's only started later on. You know, the scientists today, they take a fish and another fish. They mix them together. It's a new species that's created today. In museums, in Elat, in Florida, in all kinds of places. Plus, it happens in the ocean naturally. So what happened now? The Torah promise. You want to know if it's kosher or not? Take it out and see if it has scales and fins. Comes the oral Torah and say, I promise you. Everything you're going to find from now until the end of this world, if you saw scales in the body, it has fins for sure. It's enough that somebody will bring one snake from the oceans that have scales 
and doesn't have fins because it's finished with a tail, it will be the end of Judaism. Everything was a waste of time. Why? Here is the first mistake in the Torah. Why? Because the Torah promised you will never find anywhere you go any creature, any species that have scales that did not have, did not have, did not have fins. Snakes have fins. Snakes doesn't have fins. They have, they have, they have tails. But, and also, what, what it means, scales. Scales that you scratch it, they're falling down. Snakes you scratch it. Snakes have scales and no fins. No, scales, I, I knew that you're going to say it, so I answered you before you, <laughs> you asked me. I already knew what's coming. So I told you, scales are, the, you know, the fish that you scratch them and the scales are falling? That's what Rashi writes. Scales that when you rub it, they're falling off the body of the fish. Now, the question is, what person would be able to give such information? And what for? What for? If you come and you claim that you're the new prophet and God gave you a book and you want the people to listen to the laws of the book, first of all, what are you gaining by taking such a risk? Why would you write something that one day somebody will come and say, here, I found this fish, it has scales, and it doesn't have fins. It will be the end of your book. And everybody know you're a liar. What did you gain by taking such a risk? The answer is, there's no risk. If the creator of the world gave this book, he knows how he created them. What person would be able to write such a thing? Do you know a person that can look in the entire ocean, 72% of the world, 12 kilometers depth they reached so far? There's much, it's much, much deeper. And simultaneously, they can see the entire oceans and promise that nothing like this is moving, you can prove what exists. It's very difficult to prove what's not exist. In order for you to prove something that does not exist, you have to control the entire world and the future. Now, if we're already speaking about animals and fish, every kosher animal has also two signs. Shh, please. Every kosher animal has two signs. What are they? It has to be chewing his cud and split hoofs. Two signs. Comes the Torah as a divine book and say, Dear Jew, be very careful. There are four animals that may cheat you. They crooks. Be careful. They only have one sign. Who are they? The camel, the pig, the rabbit, and the hare. Four animals. Each one of them have one of the two signs. Now, how many animals we know today in the world, in this generation? How many? More than two million different species we know. We have recorded them. Two million. The Torah comes and said 3,319 years ago, without computers, without hard drive that can store two million different names. Without. The Torah, somebody come and gave the, came and gave the Torah. Here is the Torah. Four animals are exceptional. Be careful, don't get fooled by it. They have only one sign. All it needs now, that one person will come today and show the fifth kind. Here is another animal from Africa. Somebody just found it somewhere. You see? It's chewing his cud, but it doesn't have slit hooves. What would happen that moment? The stacks of the Jewish Torah would go down to zero. It's all over. All the Holocaust, all the Shema Israel, 
all the fighting against intermarriage, all the billions of dollars donation to save the Jewish nation, it was all a waste of time. Why? Because somebody found an animal in Africa, in Zimbabwe somewhere. You know one person that will have such, will take such a risk and write it in a book? Which person claimed that he knows all the animals in the world? Which person can guarantee that he knows all the generations to come to promise such a thing? Let's move on. It's getting better by a minute. I have a, I have a question. Yes? Uh, you said when, the, this, this is just uh, going back a little bit, when you said that the Jews came to the Holy Land, they, uh, they took over seven nations. Right. Who were they and how did they do it? I'm just curious. Aprizi, Ayevusi, Agirgashi, Aknaani, Achivi, all these names that you have in the Torah, there were, today we have different names to the nations, right? But there, you know, in one generation there was a king called Sancheriv. This was a very powerful king that he made a revolution in the entire world and he mixed all the nations together. For instance, when you go to Egypt, you don't find in Egypt the original ancient Egyptians, the nation of Pharaoh. Who do you find today in Egypt? The descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs. Have nothing to do with Pharaoh. No connection whatsoever. What happened to the nation of Pharaoh? They mixed in the entire world. They're not sitting in their land anymore. And many other countries, the nation moves around and got mixed together. Palestinians. Palestinians call themselves after the Philistines, even though they have no connection whatsoever one to the other. They're not their descendants. They went and sat in the exact places that the Philistines sat in the time of Prophet Samson. Samson and Delilah, you heard that story? Where was he? In Gaza, where we have all the problems today. You understand? So there, the Palestinians, which are Arabs, that means they are grandchildren of Ishmael, sitting in the place where the Philistines used to sit, but they are nothing to do one with the other. So all these nations are gone from the world. They all got mixed. But at the time of the Torah, the Torah describes, if you read in the book of Joshua, how the Jews entered the land and occupied the land, blowing the shofar in Jericho. They describe the entire war, how the nations escaped from Israel. But it's interesting, because when God promised the Jews the holy land, he made a comment over there. Not that many people pay attention to that comment. What did he say? Translation. The land will not be given permanently to anyone because I am the master of the land. If I'm satisfied for my nation, they'll sit in the land. If I'm not, I'll send them out of the land as I did to the Gentiles that sat here before. The land, this is the way God's using, the, the language you use is the land will vomit the nations that stand on the holy land. They don't deserve to stand over there. You have to know one thing. When the first Jews came to Israel, they all were communists. Almost all of them. Communism means no belief in God. Let's help one another. Not necessarily against Judaism, against Christianity, against any religion. Communism. Now, communism, the communist Jews that came, later became the Zionist movement, they were anti-religion. They were not keeping Sabbaths or any other laws. One mitzvah they kept. Circumcision. Almost every Jew in the world today is still keeping this mitzvah. Almost. Some not, but almost everyone. It's really against all odds. It's not logical. Why? People who deny that the Torah is the word of God, 
The first thing they should put in the garbage is circumcision. Who is going to be the fool to take a baby eight, years, eight, day old, eight days old? This baby just was just born is, and risk his life cutting apart from his body. Based on what? Based on an ancient book that was given by who knows when. They deny that it was given by God. They say that God never gave it. It's just a history book. The rabbis made it. And he comes and cuts a part from his baby's body. Now I once wrote a letter to one of the Israeli members of the Knesset. He is a member of the, of the, of the labor called Shinui. You heard about Shinui? Shinui had a person named, is the, one, the person that is in, in head of Shinui, his name is Tommy Lapid. Tommy Lapid is one of the most anti-Jews in the world against Torah. Anything that sounds Jewish is against it. I once re- sent them a letter. I know his son. His son is a very famous person on the television. And once I heard that his son speaking about when he was a kid and about certain things that they used to do in the house, the Hungarian Jews. So guess what happened? I sent him a letter. If you are a man of your word and you follow the truth and you descend, you would have to agree with me that someone like you has to be sent to prison for at least 10 years. Why? You, d- you deny that the Torah is the word of God. You make fun of it. You claim that it's nonsense. Based on what you took your son that was born and cut a part of his body. In any normal country, if you go now to France, let's say a French guy in a hospital will take his baby Today, the Christians learn to circumcise their baby, so it's not so critical. But let's say 30 years ago, a French guy, non-Jew, take a baby and cut a finger from him. Cut his ear. Cut uh, one of his toes. Cut, uh, circumcise him. Take a scissor and cut. What would happen to him? 20 years in prison. Attempted murder. So now tell me, please, why is such a liar? Why you stand in, in front of all the, 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 the cameras in the media and say the Torah, it's nonsense, it's nonsense, and yet you went and risked your son's life based on what? You know what? The Torah promised that the land, the merit to sit in the Holy Land is thanks to one mitzvah, circumcision. Who sits in the Holy Land? The Jews, the communist Jews that kept no mitzvot except one circumcision. They came to the land. And the Arabs, the Arabs are circumcising their baby age 13. Why? Because the Torah says that Abraham had a son from Hagar. Uh, his name was Ishmael. He was circumcised at 13. So they also do it. They also do it. They sit in the land. No Oslo agreement will help us. No the Egyptians and the Americans and all these brokers that try to make peace. It's not in their hand. You cannot do anything over there. Why? Because the Palestinians are making circumcisions over there, and they believe in the Torah, and that's it. They sit in the land until Mashiach comes. That's what the Torah says. I want to show one more scientific proof. I'm skipping some. Here you go. The Torah says that God sent a message to the Jewish nation after the destruction of the second temple. The destruction of the second temple, God said to the Jewish nation, this was written close to 2,000 years ago. Who knows 
When is the first time in history that people found that there is more than 6,000 stars in the universe? First time. What year? Who is the scientist, the famous scientist, that told the world everything you thought until today, it's incorrect. There are much more than 6,000 stars. The one who developed the first telescope, who is it? Galileo Galilei in 1608. The year 1608, exactly 400 years ago, came Galileo Galilei to the world. He had a six-feet telescope, and he told them, come and watch. Up to now, without a telescope, people were standing on the mountains and counting the stars between six to 8,000 stars maximum. When Galileo found there's much more galaxies, the world realized everything we thought is correct is actually incorrect. Let's see what the oral Torah, oral, not written, oral Torah had to tell us 2,000 years ago and the number of stars in the world. The Gemara, Masechet Brachot, page 32, this is what the Gemara, Gemara said 2,000 years ago. God said to the Jewish nation, my daughter, how God is calling us? My children, as the Torah refer, you are the children of God. I chose you from all the nations to be mine. Do not be like all the other nations. Do not marry them. Do not behave like them. I made you special because I'm special. I made you holy because I'm holy. If you're going to keep my covenant, I'm going to be faithful to reward you as I promise. If you don't keep my covenant, you expel yourself out of my nation. That's what the Torah says clearly in, all, in one page. I have it ready here. If you want, I'll display it. And God said to the Jewish nation, My daughter, 12 sections I created in heaven. In each section I created 30 armies. In each army I created 30 legion. In each legion I created 30 raton. In each raton I created 30 karaton. In each karaton I created 30 gisteras. In each gistera I hung 365,000 multiplied by 10,000 stars. And all of that I created for you. And you have the nerve to say that I forgot you and neglected you. This is apart from the oral Torah 2,000 years ago, before telescopes. Let's calculate. 12 section I created in heaven, in each one 30 legion, 30 army, 30 legion, 30 raton, 30 karaton, 30 gistera, 365,000 stars, multiply by 10,000, 10 to the power of 19 stars. If you come 2,000 years ago to a non-Jew on the street, excuse me, Chris, I have news for you. You just wrote in your article yesterday in college that there are 6,000 stars. You know how many stars there are? 10 to the power of 19 stars. What would happen to you? I put a big X on you. This guy is mental. <laughs> 10 to the power of 19 stars. Where is he getting this number from? The answer is, let's see what the scientific world had to tell us today. In 1990, Dr. T. Bruhers from Queen Mary College in London had a research with mega computer and found there are 10 to the, 10 to the power of 19 stars in the universe. The interesting part is that the scientists, the non-Jewish scientists, through their research, are sharing the departments where the stars are to seven different categories. Of course, they have more modern names, not like the Gemara, right? 
But for instance, what the Gemara call mazalot, they call galactic cells. What the Gemara call armies, they call local groups of galaxies. What the Gemara call legion, they call galaxies. What the Gemara call raton, they call galactic areas. What the Gemara call karaton, they call groups of galaxies. What the Gemara call gistera, they call global groups of stars. What the Gemara calls stars, they also call stars. So they came with the research not knowing about the oral Torah, not knowing about Jewish tradition, and they came to the exact results like the oral Torah told us 2,000 years ago. Now let's be honest. Can someone here in this room challenge such a thing? This is in the Gemara in every synagogue you go, open the Gemara, page 32. 12 times 30 times 30. Now, we are not debating now what's the exact number of the stars because nobody really knows for sure. According to science, the way they do it, the satellites are taking pictures of all the galaxies and the mega computer bigger than this house is counting how many dots those photographs has. And that's a, that's a very, very serious research. And they come up with number 10 to the power of 19, 10 to the power of 20. Some scientists claim 10 to the power of 21. It's irrelevant. The question that I ask, do you know any human being 2,000 years ago that would write such nonsense and claim that he got it from God? They put him in a garbage with his book. Who are you? You're a psycho. What is this? Don't you see there are 6,000 stars? And you know what? I have news for you. It did happen. When the, Jew, when the Jews were saying that to the non-Jews, don't believe what you see. They're way more than what you see. The Goim made fun at the Jews. They said, tell me please, Mr. Abraham. When God came to Abraham, the famous Abraham, and he blessed him, I will multiply your descendants like the sand on the ground and like the stars in, in the sky. Did he curse Abraham? Oh, he blessed Abraham. The Christian used to ask, where is the question? It's a contradiction. Comes the Christian person and say, excuse me, if God blessed Abraham, like his descendants going to be like the number of the stars, what kind of nation is going to have? 6,000 people? That's a very small nation. That's not a blessing. Oh, if, he, if they're going to be like the number of the sands on the beach, on the ground, now I understand it's a real blessing. They're going to be billions of people. So the Jews answered, you don't understand, there's no contradiction. We have an oral part to the Torah which you don't know. They did not translate the oral Torah to their language. When the written Torah was given, it was translated to 70 languages right away. Many non-Jews wanted to become a part of this nation. What do you think? It wasn't just an event in history. The whole world was shaking. The Jews are receiving the book until today. They call us the nation of the book. The nation of the book. Not because we have Bialik or the book of Yitzhak Rabin with all the respect. This is the book of God. The Goim, how they go, the Goim call the Jews always throughout history. The nation of the book. And everybody knew what book we're talking about. The nation that brought culture and law and constitution to every nation in the world. Every constitution is based on the Ten Commandments. You should not kill, you should not steal, all these laws, adultery, and all these other things. So now, if you're still not convinced, that should do it. We know that the Torah says that the holiday of Pesach should be in, always in the spring. Comes God and say in the Torah, 
Pesach, Chag Aviv. Pesach, the holiday of the spring. Big problem. Big problem. Why? There are two kinds of different years, two calendars, according to the moon and according to the sun. According to the sun, the year of the sun is 365 days. The year of the moon, 354 days. 11 days difference. Which means, if the holiday right now fell in the month of April, if you ignore the 11 days gap between the sun and the moon, every three years it will move by 33 days. Which means it's going to move a month. So April is going to be March. Three years later it's going to be February. Three years later it's going to be January. That's exactly what happened to the Muslims when they celebrate the fast of the Ramadan. Sometimes it's in the summer, sometimes it's in the winter. They go by the moon only. The Christians go by the sun. Every four years they pushed into the calendar February 29. So if you're born in February 29, Age 60, you only have 15 birthdays. You lost 45 birthday party. <laughs> Why? Because you have birthday every four years. There's no February 29. Only once every four years. The Jews are celebrating the year based on the sun and the moon together. So how are we doing it? This is what the oral Torah had to say. At that time, God told Moses the laws and the calculation of the moon and inform him how to make leap years and how to decide the beginning of the months because the Torah say observe the month of the spring and you make Pesach, Passover Passover, okay, let's see the Gemara says, for those who did not know 2,000 years ago, the president of Israel was Hillel that was his name, Hillel Azaken he was the president of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin had 71 chief rabbis sitting and making laws according to the need of every generation. Plus, they had to judge murderers and all kinds of things. One of the things that they had to do is that to decide when it's the beginning of the Jewish month. Why? Because there was no calendar yet. No calendars. Only the grandson of Hillel his grandson wrote the Jewish calendar close to 2,000 years ago until today. We're going by the Jewish calendars. It's amazing. If you learn a little bit about the calendar, it's unbelievable how he planned the calendar. But before the calendar was there, two Jewish witnesses will see the renewal of the moon. The rabbis announced, for instance, on Shabbos in the synagogue, the rabbi announced, we're supposed to see the renewal of the moon on Tuesday afternoon after 5 p.m. That's all. The witnesses were searching on the mountains for the renewal of the moon. Once two kosher witnesses saw it, they ran to the Jewish court, to the base din, and informed the rabbi, we just saw the renewal of the moon. The rabbi will announce, it's Rosh Chodesh today, it's the beginning of the month, we have to count 10 days, and in the 10th day of the month of Tishrei, it's Yom Kippur. If it's Nisan, then on the 14th day, it's Passover. So how did they know? It was all done manually. Now, they needed to inform the Jews that lives in Syria. So they used to send messenger on a horse to Syria to inform the Jews, in three days from now, you have to fast. There was no telephones. Later, they made fire. 
they had mountains, they were making fires, and each one saw fire, and he lighted his fire, and everybody around Israel knew that today it's the first day of the month. Today, Baruch Hashem, is very easy. We have a calendar. We know in advance all the Rosh Chodesh. But one time, 200 witnesses came to the court to testify to Rabban Gamliel. We just saw the renewal of the moon now. 200, not two. The president of Israel, Rabban Gamliel, told them, you're all wrong. Impossible. They said, Rabbi, look how many of us here. You're sitting in a building. You tell us we're all wrong. Rabban Gamliel answered them. We have from father to son, all the way back to Moses, to the acceptance of the Torah. We have a rule. The renewal of the moon will never be less than 29 days and a half and two-thirds of the hour and 73 parts of the minute. How much is that? 29.530590000. That's the number, the minimum cycle of the renewal of the moon. What does NASA have to tell us about the renewal of the moon? This is an original page from NASA, Earth Moon System. Earth Moon System, it comes, let's make it a little bit bigger for you, it comes to 29.530588. What did the Torah have to tell us, the oral Torah? 29.530590. What's the difference? Two parts of ten thousandths of the minute. Take a minute, share it to ten thousand parts, Two parts of it, that's the difference between the Torah and NASA. But the Germans are a little bit more precise. 1965 in Berlin, this is Earth-Moon system. The Germans came a little bit closer to the laws of the creator of the world. And they came up with 29.530589. And the Torah, now there's one ten thousandth of a second different. Someone just told me about a year ago that now they upgraded it to the exact number of the Torah. I never found the source. With or without that source, I would like to ask your intelligence one question. Do you know any person 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago that would write in a book the minimum cycle of the renewal of the moon in any given month? Remember, no satellites, no computers, no ways to measure to 10,000 of a second. The renewal of the month will never be less than this number. Five digits, six digits after the decimal points. Right there, when the, in generation that there was no calculators. How did the Torah, the oral Torah, was able to give such a number? Unless if it rece we received it from the creator of the moon, the creator of the world, and the creator of everything. Do you know any person that would write such a thing? Which person? 50 years ago, nobody could write such a thing. Not 2,000 years ago. 50. 50 years ago, before we had satellites. Before there was a way to measure the renewal of the moon. So we're not talking a joke here. This is a serious project. They spent billions of dollars, NASA and the Germans, to come up with this number. If they only knew me, <laughs> I would save them billions of dollars. <laughs> I showed them. Yeah, that's the truth. That's not me. That's the creator of the moon told us that secret. The Jews never claim for credit for anything we have. We never found it. We did not have any researches. We are not scientists. We don't deserve any credit. 
We got lucky. We are the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thanks to them, we are their children. We got lucky. We received the book of God. The one and only nation that received the book of God. And what can I do that right next to it, it said that we have to observe the Sabbath. We have to put a feeling every day. We have to be modest. We have to be faithful to our wife. We have to be respectable to every human being. We cannot be crooks. We cannot be liars. We cannot cheat in a business and many, many other things. What can I do? I did not make the laws. Even though some people get angry when I go into that part of the lecture. They don't want to hear they just want to see the proofs. Rabbi, up to here, please. Shabbat is already too much. <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> Any questions so far? Yes. Can I um, go back and talk about what you said with them, how the Zionist movement you know, is accepted Yes. Okay, so where did you say that it said that the only reason why the Jewish people are being put out of Israel is because they keep that? Where does it say that? Because they? Because they keep the Torah says, God promised Abraham that thanks to this mitzvah of circumcision of every male born, they will, his, his descendants will inherit the Holy Land. Okay. And then, wait, in another place in the Torah it says, when the Jews committing sex crimes, the outcome will be that they will lose the Holy Land. So there are two ways to lose the Holy Land. One is to be sent to the exile, like we all here. We are in the exile. We don't realize that we are in a punishment. Some of us are, are very satisfied with our punishment. But the goal of a Jew is to be in Jerusalem, not here. But we all punish, but we like it. Ten years ago, one rabbi in Jerusalem told me, you know what I like about you? You're inside the bathroom and you like it. <laughs> Today I begin to realize that he was right. At that time I thought he's a fool. But today I realize, it takes many years sometimes to realize that the Jew belong in the Holy Land. But we don't realize, we were born here, or some of us came from Iran, some of us were born in America or from Europe. The goal of a Jew is to be in the Holy Land. The Holy Land, there's many, many things in the Torah that praise the Jews for the merit that they have to sit in the Holy Land. And many other things. So now, when the Jews do not behave, one of the problems is that the enemies are attacking us constantly and don't give us any rest. I'll give you an example of what I mean. The Torah says, three times a year, every Jewish male has to come visit me in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. When are those three appointments that God wants to make with every Jew? Passover, Sukkot, and Shavuos. The three regalim, the three festivals, Shavuos, Pesach and Sukkot. The Torah adds few more details to this request. Don't be afraid to leave your land. Every Melbourne has to come to Jerusalem. And I promise, when you come to visit me in the holy temples in Jerusalem, no Gentiles will ever attack the holy land. It's a clear sentence in the Torah. Clear. No goy will want to attack the holy land when you're busy with this mitzvah. No. Now let's analyze the last 2,000 years in history. When the first temple was created, it was standing for 410 years. Then it was destroyed by the Babylonians. There were 70 years of break. And after 70 years, the Persian 
כורש, כן? To ascend and sponsor the creation of the second temple. And the Jews built the second temple, which was standing for 420 years. So all together, we have 410, and 420 all together, 830 years that we had the holy temple in Jerusalem, where the golden mask is, right there. In between 70 years. So a period of 900 years all together, the Jews were busy with Jerusalem. Now, three times to go from Israel to Jerusalem, this is what it means 2,000 or 3,000 years ago. You know what it means? If you live in Tiberia, you got to take your children on a carriage with a horse. There was no trains, no shuttle, no, no helicopters, no limos, none of this. You got to take a, a, a carriage with a horse and go from Tiberia or from Tzfat or from... Uh, from the, from, the, from the south, from anywhere in Israel, to go all the way to Jerusalem and to be there a week, because that's the holiday. How long does it take to go with a horse or a donkey from Tzfat or from Tiberia to Jerusalem? About two weeks. Two weeks. There were no major roads, no lights. You have to, at night you cannot travel. You have to travel during the day. <laughs> I don't have to tell you the conditions that they had. So now... To go to Jerusalem, two weeks, four weeks back and forth. To be there, another week. Five weeks approximately. Let's make it even, a month. Three months out of the year, every Jewish male was staying in Jerusalem. Leaving the army, leaving the land, leaving the farms, nothing. The non-Jews around Israel knew the Torah better than the rabbis today. 2,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago. We have proofs for that. The Goim knew the Torah very well. They know that all the Jews are in Jerusalem. Let's take their land free of charge. No war, no nothing. God promised, nobody will ever attack you when you're going to come to Jerusalem. Don't worry about the borders of Israel. Now let's calculate. 830 years times three months every year Almost 2,500 months. 2,500 months. The land of Israel has no guards. Not once they attacked in history. In between the years, when the Holy Temple were not there, or between the months, between Passover and Shavuos, between Shavuos and Sukkot, hundreds of wars. Always. The Goim were fools. They didn't know. That now you can go and, and take it free of charge? Why are you waiting that the Jews go back to the border to guard? Why don't you take it then? Because the Torah took a big risk. Nobody will attack you ever when you're going to be in Jerusalem. You understand? So when, when God is satisfied from us, the Torah says, 